0: Well, actually, now that I actually have the mental image, it's not that funny of someone taking a bite out of a live bird, but the concept of the mental image of somebody taking a bite out of a live bird is entertaining to me. Like as a cartoon. Yeah, like it leaves like the bite mark, just like the bite shaped hole, like out of a cookie. Ah, I'm clipping. (laughs) Ah. Is there a a spider on you? Ah. Uh, there we go. You
1: know, he wants to make sure that his audio doesn't clip if there's a spider on yeah. him.
0: I see. I see.
2: I want I want my audio to make it sound like I'm really calm about the spider on me. Ah. 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 Okay, great.
0: That was, that was fun.
2: Topic boards.
0: Hello, it's me, the Tyreek.
2: I'm Avery.
0: <laughs> and I'm Jim. <laughs> and this is
1: Topic Lords, uh, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Finally. <laughs> it's about time, right? Uh, Tyreek, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have something to plug?
0: Um, I have, I guess, several things to plug. Uh, I'm Tyreek. I make video games. Oh, I would put a plural on that, but I'm not sure whether it's just one or more. I've seen some of your jam games, so... I want to do more jams. It's been a while. Delicious. But yeah, I'm currently working on a game called Catacomb Kids, which is available on Steam and itch.io and early access, which it would be great if you could buy that. I I wouldn't mind it. I also wouldn't mind it.
2: Yeah, I guess I have nothing against that either.
0: (laughs) I also have a Patreon if you just want to give me money for some reason. And you can find me basically anywhere online... uh, At 4-Bit Friday, which is all spelled out, no numbers
1: involved. Uh, Avery, uh, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have something to plug?
2: I'm Avery. I will once again plug my 2016 solo album. Social media. Avery Burke sings songs for lovers. (laughs) You find it. (laughs) Find it at your local music store. Go to Streetlight Records or Tower Records or Empire Records from the movie Empire Records and find my album, A.B. Burke Sings About Love, six songs. There's nothing like it.
1: Does Tower Records still exist?
2: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I also think that Empire Records never existed.
1: But but Empire Records I've seen that movie in the past couple of years, and so it is now more real in my mind than Tower Records.
2: <laughs> because it's like more recent in your experience? Right. Yeah. Huh. Remember record stores?
1: Nope. <laughs> uh, I went to a Target recently, and they had a shelf full of LPs. What?
2: Was it all country music? Because I get the feeling that's the only fan base that is buying physical media anymore.
1: No, it's for gifts. It's for like you want to give a uh, an LP to your dad.
2: Here, you probably don't know how to use your phone to listen to music.
1: <laughs> One of the interesting things about that um, display was that you could tell by um, you could tell by looking at the album which album covers were meant to be displayed at twelve inches and which album covers were meant to be displayed on an iPod screen.
2: Oh yeah. That, uh, there's a recent young, I think young thugs last album is notable for having really good album art. And it got me to thinking that like, you don't like now everybody's interface with an album is like the album art that you see is on Spotify. So it's like the size of a postage stamp. Right. And the young thug thing is like, if you look really close, it's, it's young thug and he's, uh, mowing the lawn. He's like mowing a football stadium or something. And he's mowing... The a face of young thug into the into the football stadium, but then if you look close, the football stadium is actually made up of a bunch of tiny little green young thugs, and he's mowing <laughs> his own green clones down. But it only you can only see it if you like Google the image and then look at the image because you can't tell what's going on on the uh, Spotify picture of the album.
1: Right. Yeah. This is uh, really putting a lot of trust in the listener to care enough about your work. To look into the the detailed version of it,
2: yeah, or that that trust them to go buy it at Target.
1: Trust that this album is going to be classic enough in a few years that it will go next to the Beatles and Pink Floyd at the Target display.
2: That your dad is going to want it.
1: All right, are you guys ready for some topics? Always.
2: Let's do this.
1: Tyreek here. This is your topic: reading non-religious <laughs> texts as scripture. Go.
0: Uh yeah, so I recently learned that there's a uh, podcast apparently that exists, not this one. Um, there are other podcasts. I don't know if you know wait that. wait wait, do they talk about topics? I don't. I wouldn't call them topics. I'd, t- I'd call them things. They call they they talk about things. Oh good. Uh, but this podcast is called um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Scripts here and the and the Sacred Text. I think yeah, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And it's basically a series of podcasts that approach the Harry Potter books as though they were like a religious text and like gleaning lessons from each chapter and stuff like that. Sure. Which I find really fascinating. Like, um, I, it's also prompted me to, for the first time, start reading Harry Potter books, uh, cause I'd never have. Uh-huh. And I was like seems like kind of an interesting companion piece to go with my first read through is like read a chapter or, and then listen to this podcast discussing like a religious adjacent context of said chapter. Um But yeah, I, I just thought I think this is kind of a really interesting idea because like I was raised in sort of, uh, you know, Christian religious household and stuff like that, but don't really identify with that anymore but I still find a lot of the vestiges of ritual kind of like interesting and so, sort of like still a part of my identity. It's just this really interesting podcast like approaching a non-religious text as if it were a religious text or scripture and
1: yeah, you you look at something like the Bible and it's if in just in practical terms Um, there's the whole like supernatural aura that's given to it if you believe in that sort of thing. But if you don't, it's really just like, what can I get out of these stories in terms of philosophy and life lessons? And I'm not convinced that it's a great source of those compared to like any other work of fiction. Right.
2: Interestingly, like the Bible... The storytelling, you know, it's it's ancient storytelling. It's way different than the kind of storytelling that you get in, like, a science fiction or, like, in Harry Potter or something. There's not a lot of, like, characters don't have interiors. As far as I can remember, like, there's no character that – I mean, I don't know. Like, there's just, like, it's very – like, stories are very suggested at rather than fleshed out in the way that we are used to.
1: Well, yeah. I Like, I, I haven't read all of it, but I get the impression that it's kind of written – as a history uh, by observers as opposed to like anybody who would know what the characters were thinking.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's how most of it is approached where it's like, here's what happened. I'm telling a story, but not like a story with depth, just kind of a story of like, here's a sequence of events that occurred in the long past. And some of these events may seem supernatural to you, but God's real and you should believe in them.
2: As narrated by a game show host or, like, a Twilight Zone-style host. Some of these events may seem strange to you.
1: Believe it or not.
2: I I feel like uh, people from my generation take Star Wars as kind of a sacred... Like, I I feel like I had friends who forgot that Jedi wasn't a real religion. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or that Yoda is just a puppet and not actually,
1: like... And Star Wars is way more real than Tower Records... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it happened more recently
0: see that that's that's the other kind of like thing is i want to see this done with more things like i would really be interested in seeing like star wars as read as religious scripture or like like lord of the rings or like the silmarillion or or, or what have you like th- those seem like they'd be like really well suited to this kind of approach and analysis God,
2: especially the silmarillion would be the silmarillion is written like the bible
0: Right, exactly, right. exactly. So
1: yeah. there uh, there was a a book that came up uh Orphans of the Sky by Robert Heinlein that came up in the in the Discord recently uh, in the um Topic Lords Discord uh which is about um a generation ship where there was a mutiny and the, a lot of the crew just culturally forgot
0: where they came from. Oh, was this I Went on a kick, I think it was like sometime last year, early last year or the year before, where I just like listened to a bunch of old sci-fi radio dramas, uh-huh. like really old timey sci-fi radio dramas. And this was like the premise of one of them that I found really compelling. Yeah, it might have been an ad- adaptation. Yeah, I think, I think it, it was like all of the radio dramas were definitely like adaptations of other stories. But this was one that that like stuck in my mind because there were like I, I like I like I said I was like binging them and I was just like listened to like way too many and a lot of them were very bad but but this one in particular like stuck in my head where really. I think it's also just kind of the concept of generation ships is oh, apparently yeah. fascinating to me that just, it's just like whenever I hear that mentioned I kind of latch onto it right but, yeah
2: this all makes me think of have you guys ever read anything by Cordwain or Smith
0: I don't think so no.
2: He, sometimes he's considered to be one of the first real sci-fi authors. Uh, he was an interesting guy. He was an ambassador and uh, I think he was an ambassador to China and he um, was he lived in China and specialized in Chinese culture in like the 40s and 50s. And he wrote all of these sci-fi stories that are almost all from the point of view of the distant, distant future. And they are told as though they are history, but they are told as though they are history of the distant future. So, like, long after our time, these stories are being told unimaginably far in the future, but they are still being told as though they are from the past, but they are from a past that is still in our future. Right. Uh, And they, they have to do with things like people, the first generation of people who traveled to the stars, going out and founding colonies, and then having... People from those colonies come back after like a thousand years, having forgotten that they were originally from Earth and stuff like that.
1: This is like how Wikipedia is written in the past tense because <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars is set a long time ago.
2: Let me tell you about my favorite Wikipedia entry. Okay. So, <laughs> there is a character in one of the prequels called Poggle the Lesser.
1: Uh-huh.
2: He's a bug man, and uh, he's like he's a leader of one of the bug people. And if you go to you read about him on Wikipedia, there is a little footnote at the end that says that he is not related to Poggle the Greater. And then if you follow the link to Poggle the Greater, it is just the photo for Poggle the Greater is a picture of Poggle the Lesser from the movie, only it's in sepia tone and he's wearing a top hat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bigger Luke kind of a thing.
0: I also like how in this fiction. Like Star Wars already occurs a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but like a long time before that, photos are yeah. still sepia,
1: right? Yeah, it's <laughs> like how they there's a Wikipedia entry for water.
2: So like regular Wikipedia is replicated inside of Wikipedia.
1: Well, they they probably have like like annotations for all the times water appeared in the movies.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh God water
0: planets and whatnot. Yeah. Or just like species species who only live in water or this character drank a glass of water. Uh,
2: yeah. There's, there's entries for, uh, uh, I think it's in empire strikes back that Han Solo tells somebody that he's going to see them in hell. And that kicked off a bunch of people being like, Oh wow. Oh, yeah. Wait,
0: Christian hell. <laughs>
1: yeah. Hell exists in star Wars.
0: What if hell is just a planet though? Hell's just another planet.
1: Hell is more real than Tower Records. <laughs> I don't know what this joke is, but I
0: like it. Neither do I.
2: Do you think, uh, Tyreek, that you're like especially prone to enjoy a text if you have the ability to read it as a spiritual text because it strikes a chord with you as a formerly religious person?
0: I think probably like, okay, what do you mean by like reading a text as a religious text as in having the context around it? as reading it as a religious text or if it's like written specifically in the way that a religious text would be written oh well, because i feel like i definitely have like some something in my brain is like has like a strong emotional reaction and connection to text that is regardless of whether it is written as a scripture or not reading it in that like if it's written as if it's meant to be read in that way where it's like kind of very stiff language almost and like just like kind of a lore dump type stuff. I love that. <laughs> that's interesting.
1: Have I wonder if anybody's made a book that's just loading screen tips. Because <laughs> I feel like that takes the same kind of form like tip of the day.
0: Um, there's also a, a Twitter account or I think it's called like video game advice or something like that. Oh, that sounds right. It basically just takes uh like screenshots of whenever any advice is given in a video game and just like posts that where it's like press B on time to hit your enemies and then some and then like occasionally it will give like an actual nugget of wisdom where it's like right. you know like like it's important to care about your friends and you know, like you know that's not really deep but you know what I mean
1: try to touch all booty
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where it'll just be like like nested within these like random suggestions of things to do. It'll be like, oh, like sometimes life is hard, but you gotta believe it and persevere, and then you can overcome your your greatest foes and things you never thought you could, and, and then like the next one will be like don't f- forget to not jump on the thing you're not supposed to not jump on.
2: Do you ever think about slipping stuff like that into your own uh tips for your video games
0: like deep things
2: deep things are just things that are way too personal like
0: uh
2: <laughs> I, I had a one of my more favorite philosophy professors i was taking a grad course on wittgenstein and he's an old guy and before we started the class he said does anybody have any uh questions for me personally and somebody raised their hand and said do you have any life advice and he got this faraway look in his eyes and he said never mix methamphetamines and marriage
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I put a character in Frog Fractions 2 that was just there to give that sort of advice because I was frustrated that Frog Fractions 2 didn't have loading screens. And it was a mix of like just advice that was like really applicable to the game, but you didn't you did like you would have to have already finished the game to figure out how. And advice that like is for some nonsense game that you're not playing and life advice like never marry you can't someone you can't fart in front of
2: that <laughs> isn't it i feel like uh it was warcraft 1 where uh, it would it would occasionally give you uh, uh, tips like never pet a dog on fire and stuff like that
1: i feel like i'll have to look into that that sounds good i feel good. like that's
0: good advice yeah <laughs> yeah also dog on fire sounds like a title of something and i don't know what it's uh, about the um the dog that walked
1: a uh, tightrope between the twin towers. <laughs> Wait, no, that's Man on Wire.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man on Man on Fire is definitely a movie. I think it had Denzel Washington. Yes, Man in it. on
2: Fire is a Denzel Washington movie. So the cover, so the poster for Dog on Fire is of a dog wearing sunglasses and in the background there's a house bursting into flames.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, some friends of mine made a game called Jamestown, um, and they were trying to put in loading screen tips and they eventually realized there's not really much advice you can give for uh, a shmup, a scrolling shooter. And they just ended up writing things like never give up. And Jamestown was founded on May 14th, 1607. (laughs) (laughs) Are you guys ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, So I wanted to talk about how I just discovered that pitched battle doesn't mean what I thought it meant, which I thought it would meant like an excited frenetic battle, like fever pitch. But then I read the definition of Wikipedia and it turns out to mean um, a battle that is agreed upon in advance by the two sides. So like with agreed upon location and time and terms.
2: Oh, like a sales pitch.
0: Right. Yeah. Like like, hey, let me let me pitch this to you. What if we fight?
2: <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> right. But we'll need a venue. And we'll need armies.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's not what I, I thought you were gonna go somewhere else with it too, but like in the term of like pitch being like what people in castles would throw out on onto invaders to oh, like yeah. dissuade uh, them from climbing the walls and whatnot. That's what I thought you were going, on. but this is this is definitely an unexpected term for the origin of this term, right?
1: Right, and I think so. I, I said I say that, but also like I then went on to look at other dictionaries, and Merriam-Webster says it's a um, a frenetic, excited battle. Oh, um, so and like there's no other definition. So apparently there is some widespread confusion about this, probably because. This is a term that's impossible to glean from context and everybody's as confused as I am. So all of these definitions are probably in active use.
0: Well, so, okay, the idea of pitching a battle seems so old-timey that I can't imagine that as still being an active use. I think the I feel like the only use now is probably meaning like a frenetic... When you're
1: describing uh, m- modern battles, uh, certainly like the, the um, excited version of it is more useful but like when you're writing fiction or history then you can still use this other meaning and it's going to be it's going to have its adherence because it's the quote-unquote correct one
0: i don't know if that's true though because like language changes and so even people in modern times writing about historical contexts are going to be using modern language unless they specifically go out of their way not to
2: so what so that that would get used in the like, truly, it was a pitched battle. Everyone was at their peak and fighting. Yeah. When I think of the phrase pitched battle, it makes me think of um, Shelby Foote of uh, history of the Civil War. And I think a lot of, of a lot of those as like battles where those seem like pitched battles in the old timey sense, right? Where two generals met and agreed and then fought and then one general
1: like a sport where a bunch of people die
2: yeah yeah exactly like the like yeah (laughs) like where there's two people sitting drinking tea watching a whole bunch of people die and like this happened at the beginning of the civil war before it got bad people would come out to the battlefield like civilians and watch it as as though as though exactly they were watching like football but someone was gonna die and if you got too close you might die as well
0: oh man imagine if like uh If sound systems had been invented back then and and then like the battles had announcers. (laughs) Well,
1: what they had instead was just they had bands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Both sides. Oh,
2: yeah. Or if you were in ancient Japan, you know, like fighting factions would wear like huge flags on their back and stuff. So you could be really far away and you could keep track of who was like how it was going. You could be like, look, all the blue flags. There they are. All the red flags are down. So, sorry, do you know which one is the older use? Are you sure that pitched to mean proposed is the
0: older use?
1: I'm reasonably sure, yes.
0: I can only imagine that because nobody does that anymore. Right. Right. I wonder
2: how, other, how many other phrases there are like that that just sound like it means something else and then eventually takes on that. Because uh, I can think of a bunch of examples where words take on their opposite meaning. Like, uh, literally. Decimate. Yeah. Oh, decimate.
1: I just tweeted about pantsing and about how um, pantsed and unpantsed arguably mean the same thing.
2: (laughs) Oh, they totally mean the same thing, except except you can unpants yourself. You can't really pants yourself, right? (laughs) Right. But it's interesting that the thing that you're removing is the same as the act of taking them off
0: does that only apply to pants though like can someone be ha- hatted does that mean removing the hat or that i feel like that only means applying the hat right
1: well the other example i can think of is shelled is uh unshelled peanuts which means they still have their shell on wait what <laughs> that's counterintuitive yeah if, if if nuts are unshelled they haven't been shelled oh, yet they
2: haven't been shelled oh my god oh my god <laughs> oh, no 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 right no <laughs> Oh, I would totally not understand that.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think I like that. <laughs> we should. We should, as like as collective English-speaking, you know, group, change that.
1: We should form a union. Yeah. yeah. Overthrow the would FDA. It,
0: would it be the union of shells or the union of unshelled? The unshelledness.
1: We would have an internal war to determine. <laughs> which-
0: we would
2: have a pitched battle.
1: On the racquetball court.
2: <laughs> and then we would have a battle about which version of pitched we were.
1: <laughs> Are you guys ready for another topic? Let's do it. I'm done. Yeah. All right. Avery, uh, you, you have your very interesting question. How do you really use carrier pigeons? Right. Then I have no idea. Like I had assumed you like write a note and then you attach it to the bird in a little bag or something like a messenger bag, and then you just let the bird go and the bird goes home. Am I wrong?
2: No, I think that's right. But then the real use of that means that like you, Jim, have carrier pigeons. Does that mean like a traveler comes to your castle and you're like, if ever you need to contact me, take one of these live birds with you, right. tie a note to it, let it go. It'll find its way back.
1: Yeah, yeah, there, it's one way. For, but you can take this cage of full of pigeons anywhere – Oh, do you take more than one pigeon? I, I would assume so. I would assume there's, like, a dude whose job it is to to maintain all these pigeons, and you go to that person when re, whenever you want to send a message back home.
0: Right. Or, like, could it be maybe, maybe rather than, like, between, like, a castle and, like, an individual who's traveling? I feel like maybe a more, more reasonable thing would be, like, between two stationary positions, And they just have people constantly transporting pigeons back and forth between them so that they always have like a supply of pigeons that wants to go to the other place.
2: So the pigeon is like a slingshot, like it's like it's attached to its point of origin and you pull it far away from its point of origin. (laughs) Then you put a message in it and you let it go and it returns to its point of origin. And then in order to be useful again, someone has to go and get it and pull it far away from its point of origin once more.
1: Right, right, right. This is this is uh, basic laws of physics we're talking about here. You need to store the energy in the pigeon before you can release the energy,
2: and and it, it's it's more useful the further away it is because the more uh poten- the more potential energy it has inside of it.
1: Right, the more force that gets applied to the pigeon.
2: Do you know that pigeon racing is a is a sport in which people can earn thousands of dollars at a time?
0: Did you say earn or burn?
2: Both, I imagine. <laughs>
1: Do you mean like present day? It's currently a sport.
2: There is current is currently a sport. It used to be a bigger thing in like the seventies and it's big in Europe where you, uh, get pigeons. There's two different ways you do it. You can race them at your, at your house. So you get them and (laughs) you give them, you train them and you give them to an official and they have little tags on their feet and the official takes all of the pigeons to some equidistant place all the pigeons from, like, all all around that they've collected and then lets them go all at the same time. And you sit around at home and you wait, like, in your treehouse or whatever for your pigeon to come back. And when your pigeon comes back, you take the card and you punch it with, like, an official pigeon stamping machine that stamps the time on the card. And then you mail your card in and then you see which pigeon won. Then there is also a championship where it's just everybody goes to the same place and waits for their pigeons to come in and just... I, am, I, I cannot imagine what it's like just sitting around and waiting for your pigeon, but sometimes your pigeon doesn't show up at all, but sometimes your pigeon wins and you win thousands of dollars.
1: I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing this happening at like a DEF CON event. And so everybody's competing to hack the pigeon timestamp machine.
2: <laughs> yeah. I feel like nowadays there'd be ample opportunity to, to cheat.
1: This this sounds like a very esoteric sport, and I'm very happy that people are able to win money doing it.
2: And anything anything where there's like a subculture is always really interesting to me because I was a serious barista for a really long time, and being a serious barista is kind of like being in a uh, semi professional sport. Oh yeah they have competitions, there are regional competitions, there are local competitions, there are national and international barista competitions. And then there are like, along with that, there's lingo and there's like celebrities. And like, I once bought this special coffee making piece of equipment from a guy who had won the international barista championships. And like, it came with his signature on it, and it had a picture of him, like, hugging his trophy inside of it and stuff. And, like, <laughs> all of that, where you just suddenly, do like – Do op- you
1: still have it?
2: Yeah. My shot – my uh, the shot polisher, I definitely have it.
1: Is it is it in use? Uh,
2: not right now, because I'm not a barista, but when I
1: owned – But you could just make, a, make some coffee for your own, you know, for fun – to just drink coffee.
2: Well, it's an it's for making espresso, so I'd have to have an espresso machine. So I'd have to go to a coffee shop and be like, "Hey, I used to do this. Can I just go go behind the bar and make myself a shot of espresso, and then break out my tools and be like, oh, I just bought my shot polisher.'
0: Are there are there like uh, barista gyms you can go to to like just keep your skills up to up to snuff?
2: Ugh, oh, if only. Oh, that would be amazing. And like, you'd have to pay. Actually, there's a, I won't mention them. There is a uh, popular local coffee shop, uh, local roastery that has a program where you pay them and they train you on coffee and they have a secret coffee shop in the alley behind their regular coffee shop where you go and be a barista. And uh, a long time ago, I was dating a girl who was a barista and she was thinking about doing this. And I was like, think about what you're doing. You're going to pay them. To work for them and make coffee for them.
1: Right.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a really s- sneaky and clever business approach. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, I guess it's like unpaid internships everywhere, right? Like uh
0: I, I have to assume
1: that this is like um this is like in Silicon Valley where uh in ten years if you don't keep your skills up, you go come back, try to go back to work and you find that like all coffee is now made in Node.js or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh god and then you can't figure out why your coffee isn't working and you realize it's because you needed to put const instead of let somewhere after right. three hours of debugging <laughs> your coffee.
1: Uh, my other my other espresso machine story is that my mom told me that at her place of work, uh, somebody convinced uh, corporate to pay for an espresso machine to be installed. Uh, and then because he was worried that... People would break the espresso machine. He wouldn't let anybody else use it. And instead, he just took the first hour out of his workday and manned the machine for an hour. Yes. (laughs) You'd go up to the espresso machine. You'd go up to him and ask for what you wanted.
2: So because I used to have or because I had a lot of friends in tech, I used to have a gig um, where I was the in-house barista for GitHub once a month. (laughs) and no one it always no one ever knew or understood what i was doing there like i would show up in a hat and a three-piece suit and just stand by their espresso machine and someone would come like bleary-eyed into the kitchen and be like what who are you and i'd be like i'm your barista may i make you a cappuccino and they'd be like i i guess and then i'd be like i'll bring it to your desk and they'd go to their desk and i'd make it and they would still be confused. <laughs> like, do I tip you? And I'm like, no, I'm getting paid way too much to do this. Now I'm gonna Very go good. to your guitar room. They had a guitar room there at the time.
1: Oh, did you take requests? <laughs> did you sing to people? Sing to people at their desk?
2: <laughs> I thought you were my barista. Well, I'm also the local bard. Let me sing to the a tale.
1: Uh, if you're a bard, then you're definitely um, singing. About the the adventures of the CEO of the company, <laughs> a Bard Rista. Uh,
2: Bard Rista. All
1: right, you guys ready for another topic?
2: All right, rapid fire right. topics.
1: Uh, this is this is a write in. Which ship is the best one?
2: Uh, boats? Are we talking boats? Are we talking outer space ships?
1: So, like, this is this is the 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 wondrous <laughs> nature of this question is that it could be about fanfic relationships.
0: That's oh what my I was gosh. thinking. <laughs> I was going to say Bakugo X Kaminari, but I don't know if anyone will get that.
2: I have no idea what that is.
0: Somebody's going to get it. <laughs> Somebody's
1: definitely going to get it. I, I will say the, um, the pirate ship at the end of the Goonies.
2: Oh, that's a pretty good ship. I feel like I shouldn't talk about Star Wars
1: anymore. Um, oh, I mean, you could just name a ship in Star Wars. The Y-Wing. Okay. All right.
2: I think cuz I had a toy when I was a kid.
1: Is that the one that's shaped like a Y?
2: Yes. That's another <laughs> okay. that's another thing that were that bothers me about Star Wars is they've got a y, an X-wing, a Y-wing and A-wing and a B-wing, so they must have the Roman alphabet out there.
1: Right. Yeah. Which is is there like a Greek letter that the Tie Fighter is shaped like?
2: Yeah, the Tie.
0: Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be like a, a H, like a bendy H? Uh, actually, they're,
2: it's like a, a capital Omega, right? That's the one with the circle and the... I should know this. I have both a degree in math and in philosophy.
0: With the line in line in the middle, like a O yeah. with a little dash in the middle, yeah. I know the one you mean. It was used
1: to indicate scrolls in ZZT. <laughs> I
2: feel like this is a, a much nerdier version of this podcast than the last time I was on it. (laughs) It's
0: because you keep bringing up Star Wars. God,
2: yeah. It's my fault.
0: Well, I also wanted to just honorable mention the uh, uh, Spike ship from Cowboy Bebop. Oh, yeah. I like that one a lot. That's a good one. Sure.
2: It's a real lived in feeling ship.
0: Spaceship Earth.
2: (laughs) Oh, Earth ships.
0: I'm a huge fan of Dyson Spheres. Oh, yeah. Those are good.
2: You know, earthships are like those weird underground houses that people make in New Mexico.
0: Yeah, I want one. They're Whoa. cool. I, the I only help? thing I the only thing is I don't want to have to live in a desert. Like they only seem to exist in deserts, right? Tell tell me and the audience about earthships. They're like ships that are like half buried in the ground. They're supposed to be like really. Um, uh, environmentally friendly and like energy sustainable energy so efficient. when
1: you say ships buried in the ground you mean like Spock X Kirk Kirk
0: oh did I say ship I meant house I meant I meant house <laughs> they are they are scripts
2: for uh, slash fiction that have been buried like E.T. I was just about to say that <laughs> Yeah, they're houses and they're made of recycled material. Uh, so, like old tires and stuff. And in order to keep them insulated correctly, they are built into uh, holes in the ground. And some of these can be really beautiful and elaborate. Um, and they're like very, they're like solar powered. And I mean, think about a person that wants to live in a bunch of recycled stuff in the ground. that they're, they're, it's built for somebody like that, like Tariq.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love, I would love to live in just a pile of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine it's
1: in the ground for reasons of temperature, temperature control. Yes,
0: exactly. Like the, 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 so part of, part of it is like they're they're. I think they're often like built with like built with like recycled tires because, uh, and they're like, they're they're built with a certain orientation towards the sun because the Mm. idea is that, uh, one of the walls during the daytime will absorb heat from the sun into the recycled tires and then during the night the heat that is absorbed into the tires will radiate back out through the house so that the house is always kind of a constant comfortable temperature uh which is which is why they're most frequently found in deserts i think and i yeah that that's why i like i said i want one but i don't want to have to live in a desert you
2: could make one here Uh, in the bay area and then you could just have an electric light pointed at it all day to heat it up (laughs)
0: I feel like that defeats the energy efficiency <laughs> purpose.
2: Or you could just run your car next to it and get the heat off your car <laughs> all day long. It reminds me of uh, uh, some entomologists filled an ant colony with uh, cement and then excavated it, and the it, go, it it went six feet in the ground, and it went like you know a quarter of a mile in every direction. And it looks like a structure that was built on purpose by a single intelligence, right? Like there's all this organization in it. And one of the most interesting pieces of it is that there's a central shaft and all of the, uh, that goes straight down and all of the other branches coming off the central shaft are at a particular angle to the central shaft to keep air circulation constant throughout the entire colony so that there is a constant temperature everywhere you go inside of this uh ant hill.
1: That's incredible.
0: Yeah, I have seen this anthill like excavation thing before, but I didn't realize I did I no- I never heard about the, the mechanics of it like that. That's that's really fascinating.
2: Uh and I mean extra fascinating because it it seems unlikely that any particular ant planned it that way, right? Like
0: That makes me wonder like how they did it. And it makes me think like maybe answer just like have like extremely simple programming where they're like digging in a direction and they're like oh it's too hot now i'm gonna change my direction by this amount yeah oh, and sure. then that's like yeah. that's like their their only sort of internal guiding principle is like i'm gonna do this thing until something feels off about it and then i'm gonna alter the thing until it feels right again
2: yeah there isn't there there's a, a branch of mathematics called swarm theory that comes mm. From observations of ants, that are that, that is about uh, how many little automaton with very simple rules can you can you put together to get complicated behavior? Like, what is the smallest rule set that you need if you have a little bunch of guys that are just digging? Like, what's the smallest rule set you need to to replicate complicated behavior in them? Right. It just occurred to me. Isn't there an episode of or, or a, a Harry Potter movie where they're celebrating Christmas? Is there Christianity in the mag- in the wizard world in Harry Potter?
0: Are they Christians? <laughs> I'm like three chapters into the first book, so I'm I wouldn't be able to answer. It.
2: Like the creator of Harry Potter has said online certain characters are gay and that wizards uh, used to poop on the ground and then magic it away before
0: <laughs> yes <laughs>
2: <laughs> before having uh, interior plumbing. Has she never said anything about what the religion there is?
0: I, I think
1: that there's just an assumption that it's going to be whatever her religion is, and she never thought about it beyond that.
2: God, the, uh, the thing that, uh, like, the Harry Potter world invites you to think about things like there are people that work in banks there and stuff, and it always makes me think, okay, so y- there's wizard schools, so some people just grow up and be wizards, but then other people just grow up and have to do mundane things like work at a bank or work in a candy shop or something like that like like what do the if, if there's if there's a partially a real world economy there what does a wizard do for most of his time
1: whiz <laughs> i don't have an answer to your question but i'm going to segue into uh talking about i saw a thread um on reddit where people were listing the ways that they thought were like this is something that's unique to hogwarts when it turns out it's just what how people in britain do things <laughs> like like eating treacle and um, having tents that have like a kitchen in them when you go camping.
2: That's real?
1: Wait, what? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Apparently, when you go camping in, in Britain, um, because it rains all the time, you're just going to spend the entire time in your tent.
0: You'd go somewhere else that's better for camping. Don't go well, camping where you're... They're not uh-huh. a part of
1: the EU anymore, yeah. so they can't leave the country.
0: <laughs> They're stuck there forever. Oh no. So, in that thing
2: where food just magically appears on your table, that's British too?
1: Apparently, yeah. They call it tea. <laughs> 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 All right, Tyreek, you have here uh, one of two ways of doing a thing.
0: Yeah, it's because it seems like there are certain things in society that just have kind of like one of two ways of doing them and those two ways are in extreme contention with one another uh like for instance saying gif or jif or which which way you put the toilet paper on the roll and uh another one that, that recently came to my attention was um like which end to peel a banana from
2: wait that's a thing there's contention about yeah, that.
0: I don't I don't think I don't think it's as highly contentious as the other ones, but it's still like one of two ways of doing a thing. Where it's just like there's certain things where it's just like you can do this either this way or this way. And there's not really an in between. I guess with a banana you could cut it. Uh I- r- right. But That seems somehow even more blasphemous. I don't know. I
1: I had assumed from the the premise that the idea here was that like these two ways are roughly equally popular.
0: Yeah. I was
2: ready to go on a tangent about why people, about what it is that makes people care about stuff like this and act like I was above it (laughs) until you said that there is another way to eat a banana and I was suddenly incensed. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah, there is definitely
2: yeah. not another way to eat a banana.
0: No, see, that's that's the thing is I've always felt that way about the GIF versus GIF debate. I'm like, who cares? It's dumb. Like, say what you want. We have different regional dialects anyway. Nobody cares. Right. I, I call it a heath. <laughs> yeah, but I have strong feelings about which way the toilet paper should go.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. And I found out recently uh, it well, of course it's because this is the way my mom did it. Uh, but I found out why my mom did it. Uh, and it's be- like, so she put, puts the toilet paper. So it's such that the, the dangling paper is closer to the wall rather than further. Mm. A- and it's so that it's harder for cats to unroll. Oh, uh, I
2: thought that's just how it was done in Australia. Cause everything is upside down there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that would make sense too.
2: The roll and rolls in the wrong direction, right? <laughs> Counter- right. Counterclockwise.
0: I don't think I've ever had a bathroom setup situation where the toilet paper roll was in a position that was like easily accessible to a cat. Like it's always like against a wall and then immediately on the other side is like the toilet right. or the sink or something like that. So, it's like like the cat would have to like get in the toilet bowl in order to access the the toilet paper roll.
2: Okay, maybe because I've only ever owned weird pets, like I would feel very uncomfortable using the bathroom with another m- mammal there. Oh yeah. Is that a is that a frequent thing that happens in cat owning households that you just use the bathroom with the with the cat?
1: I for me yeah like I've, it's just like a, a fact of life that the cat's going to come up and ask for pets. In fact, the the cats know that you're you're not going to be moving for a while. So <laughs>
0: God, it's devious.
1: They want to jump on your lap and get extra pets.
0: Yeah, it's never been a frequent thing for me, but it's definitely happened at least a couple times. Oh, I couldn't do it. Uh, but more frequent, more frequently, I'll be like you know in the bathroom doing what have you, what what one does in, in a bathroom. And uh, my roommate's cat will start sticking his paw under the door because he knows someone's in there to play with or whatever. And is like, he'll like start like just sticking his paw under the door and like just very actively playing with the shadows that are in the bathroom that is me. Yeah, that's very normal. Although like I just realized I haven't. No
1: cats have stuck their paws under the door in this house, and I realize it's probably because the house, the doors are more flush with the ground. Mm. And now I'm now I'm sad. I, I miss that.
2: Yeah, but you're pooping with your cat there.
1: Yeah, but it's not the same as if the cat were like trying to reach in in a, in a playful <laughs> manner. <laughs>
0: it's it's way cuter just seeing a paw just like come out of nowhere under the door. <laughs> yeah, and just like it's like it doesn't even look like part of a full animal it's just like here's a little fuzzy like thumb shaped thing many
2: many years ago i was in in a very long-term relationship with the girl whose parents owned a cat that inexplicably loved me and uh i would have to start showing up at her when we stayed at her parents house i would have to bring my guitar case without a guitar in it because i forgot Uh, At some point, I I, I learned that if I had the guitar case open, the cat would go and sleep in the guitar case instead of sitting outside of the bedroom door, whining (laughs) to get in. Or twice in the middle of the night, the cat opened the window of the bedroom, like went around in the back of the house and somehow got the window open and jumped into bed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a raccoon problem. And so raccoons were also making it into the house. So both times the window opened, like we'd be lying in bed and we'd get woken up to like something crashing and the window would open and I would yell, raccoons! And we'd like roll out of bed because we thought raccoons were coming into bed. But it was just this cat who like, is, it was very flattering to feel like the cat really wanted to be around me, but I don't understand why. Like I didn't ever make a special effort to to connect with this cat because I'm allergic to them.
0: Right, yeah. Play, playing hard to get. Yeah.
2: Cats like people for the same reason people like cats. They're a challenge.
1: They, you want, they want to touch your feet. I, we have a cat that um used to be an indoor-outdoor cat, but it now, like, will just pop outdoors for, like, 30 seconds and then come back in because it's cold out there. <laughs> um, And so, like, if this cat goes outside and you don't realize it's happening and you shut the door, like... She will show up at the bedroom window and start like, pa- like clawing at the, the the screen covering the window on the second floor. I should specify. Oh wow! And so like, and and we've tried like going outside and saying, okay, the front door is open. Come down, call and you're calling her, and she won't come down. You like if she's once she's outside the bedroom window, you are removing the screen so that she can come in. That's just <laughs> the only <Huh>. way forward. <laughs>
0: That kind of reminds me of one thing that I've always kind of wondered: is the spatial awareness of animals and how well they are at mapping out spaces that they can't see. Yeah, and like how how well how 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 good they are at like knowing that this this space is attached to that space, and at what level of animal, I don't want to say like sentience or whatever, but like, but at what level does that develop, like into like something that they can do as opposed to just meandering and hoping they're going in the right direction or like getting lost if they turn around in a circle and that sort of thing
1: yeah i feel like cats like they know where they are locally like they know the sequence of steps they take to get from one room to another but like if there are loops in the house they they really don't or like if there's more than one exit to the from the house like they will like Asked to be let out of one and see that it's snowing out there. What about this other exit? Maybe it's not snowing out there.
0: Mm. Oh,
1: yes. They don't seem to make that connection.
0: Well, but your cat obviously knew that, like, I guess the first time it ever did got out and had to come in, it was like, oh, I know there's a way back in through this window up here. Let me go up there. Yeah. It also
2: feels like it doesn't know that the front door is a way that you could go back in.
0: Mm, Like, once it's far enough
2: away from the front door.
0: It gets unloaded from memory.
1: Right. It's also possible yeah. that like th- she doesn't have a good way back down and she can only climb up on the roof and doesn't know how to get back down from it.
0: Right. That was my other question is is like, have you identified the route that they take to get onto the roof and could you like block that off? Or is it just like a sheer drop outside of your window and they- and it seems like they're teleporting up there?
1: No, there's an there's an Eve that, that she stands on. Eve is also the cat that like... Will get her claws stuck on something while she's like kneading it and then growl at the thing that's her claws are stuck on. My
0: cats have definitely done that before.
1: <laughs> Very good.
2: Uh, when I was a kid, I really wanted a dog, but we lived in an apartment and we couldn't get a dog. and then when I reached about ten years old, I think my tastes soured and turned weird and then I had like a pet two pet birds and a lizard and like never never any mammals.
1: Your, your lizard never asked you for companionship while you were on the toilet?
2: My, my lizard once bit me in the face while I was cleaning its tank.
1: Oh, no.
0: Why was your face so close to the lizard?
2: It was wandering around. It was an iguana. You could just, like, I just let it out and wandered around my room. And it would figure out how to get out of the um, cage in the middle of the night. And then it would come into bed with me, not be not out of like companionship, but because lizards need warm spots. Right, and so <laughs> I would. W- and it was rather large at this point. I would wake up with a with a with just like a cold like handbag against my side.
1: <laughs> oh, I just install a space heater.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, they had it had a heater, uh, but I guess it would get out, and then it would. They can like sense. Heat, warmth, and I—I I think I was the warmest spot in the room usually. Right. Birds make good pets because birds are social animals, but lizards don't even have a neocortex. I don't think they recognize you. I think they just get used to—they just get used to you enough not to attack you mostly.
1: Right.
0: So, okay, that story you just told makes me wonder if in the wild, like lizards will just snuggle up to random animals they find sleeping at night. <laughs> like like if there's like a place in the world where like lizards and deer coexist will lizard will like lizards just kind of snuggle with sleeping deer or you know whatever local mammal exists warm-blooded creature that produces its own heat
2: i have never heard of this happening and i bet it's because lizards are prey animals but now i wonder now i'm second guessing and thinking maybe that was maybe the lizard liked me enough to like not perceive me as a threat
1: So I just Googled for lizard snuggling with and I'm looking at the image search results (laughs) and it looks like they're all in captivity.
2: (laughs) You got to break their spirits before they're willing to snuggle.
1: There's also an image search result here of someone wearing slippers that just look like hollowed out fish.
2: Uh, All this should go in the show notes.
1: (laughs) Uh Are you guys ready for another topic?
2: Topic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, Avery. um, The switch in ancient Greece from clothed to naked sports. Did they – they had clothes on first?
2: Yes. Yes, they did. Uh, So, I will read to you the passage. Okay. uh, Quick background. If you've never um, read a lot of ancient Greek stuff or or got a degree in philosophy where you had to do a bunch of reading of ancient Greek stuff, I have always seen at least Hellenic sports – as a bunch of naked guys, right? Like the Olympics is always naked guys throwing discus and stuff like that. And um, every few years, just to get back in touch with like kind of where philosophy all started, I'll read the, um, I will read The Republic by Plato. And a few years ago, I read over a passage that never struck me before. And it struck me this time. And I think I have the passage here yeah so Socrates the the Republic is about um, building the perfect society part of part of one of the themes of the Republic is how you build the perfect society and Socrates uh, being a philosopher proposes that the rulers of the perfect society would be philosophers right he's like I've got an idea let's put together a perfect society I will be the head of it right Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me, me, and my friends are obviously the perfect choice to rule my perfect society. But then he also uh, talks about how women should be allowed to um, reach the same status as men in society, which would have been radical for ancient Greek at the time. Women were grown; women were treated like like a little bit better than children at the time. Um, so Socrates proposes something really radical, and so. The so the 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 Republic is written as a dialogue where uh, it's a bunch of friends talking to each other. It it reads like you're reading a play where Socrates will say something, his friends will say something. So Socrates is like winding his friends up to tell them, "I've got this radical proposal that we should also let women be in charge." And he says it, and they're like, "No, that's crazy." And one of them says, "Like the most ridiculous thing is going to be if like women have to work out and play sports." naked like men and then Socrates responds with this not long ago as we all shall remind people who think that women uh, working out is weird the Hellens were of the opinion which is still generally received among the barbarians that the sight of a naked man was ridiculous and improper and when first uh, the Cretians and then the Lacedaemonians introduced the custom uh, the wits of the day might equally have ridiculed the innovation. So what he is saying is there was a time in Greek history before people started working out and doing sports naked. And then Cretans and Lacedaemonians, two groups of people from the Hellenic world, started working out naked. And at first everybody thought it was weird and then everyone started doing it.
1: So they started working out naked as opposed to like the Olympic Games being naked.
2: Yeah, but then the Olympic Games after that became naked. But, like, the weird thing about this to me is I always assumed it was just a thing since time immemorial, right? That, like, it was a cultural thing. It turns out that there was a time when people did all that clothed, and then someone said, hey, wouldn't this be better if it was naked? And for a while, everyone thought it was weird, and then they all started doing it.
0: Right. So, you know what this makes me think of? This makes me, like, wonder cuz the way you the way you told that story and the way it was phrased and presented and stuff like that sounds like if like modern communication had existed the whole being naked thing would have just been a passing fad but since it didn't and like things cuz like that the way culture works now is like such rapid cycles of everything that like something can be popular one you know like the in the first quarter of the year and then just be non-existent in the second quarter i feel like back then things could like come to prominence and then fade out and then come to prominence and fade out over like generations and this seems like something that just like came to prominence that should have faded out but just never did like it should have been a fad but it never wore off
1: (laughs) yeah like imagine if like um like uh I can't even think of a single meme now. <laughs> God damn it.
0: The um the dude looking over his shoulder at the lady with the other lady.
1: Yeah, imagine if there that was like powerful enough to sustain discourse for generations. Or like it was, it, it was a good enough example of the two, like that we could build, well, put it, make it a cornerstone of our culture.
2: We would, we would always but, be like, as, as with the man staring at the woman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. But the, also, the woman and the girlfriend are identical, and maybe that's the point. But we'll never know because we burned ourselves out on it,
2: or maybe we're insulated. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's an incident in the history of the later, uh, the Byzantine empire where there were these chariot races that everybody loved. And there were like, I don't quite understand it, but there were chariot teams and people started to become fandom. It it started to take off to where there were different factions. There were these two chariot teams. I think they were the red and the blue team. I might be thinking of that because of contemporary politics, but there were two different colors and, uh, people eventually, fandom about uh, between the red and the blue team became so uh, deeply ingrained that they became political parties. And then eventually, there was almost a civil war in the Byzantine Empire between the red and the blue faction that had started as fan groups of these different chariots, chariot racing uh,
1: teams. I'm pretty sure this is ongoing today with FIFA. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like if, if like the, the like really hardcore soccer fans also became also parlayed that into political power and then, and then started warring with each other, like maybe, uh, going through memes and stuff so rapidly keeps that from happening.
1: Oh yeah. That would make sense.
2: Maybe we're inoculated against that kind of thing now.
1: Yeah. If only, uh, if only soccer were a fad that died out 30 seconds after it was invented <laughs> and replaced with a, with a endless series of other micro sports. <laughs> when I found out during this conversation that they did the Olympics clothed and then they did it naked. I'd assume that like doing it naked was uh, an innovation to prevent cheating.
0: You can't just go into the wrestling pit just like with, Covered in in knives and spikes, yeah. just under your clothes. You've got your
1: uh, Travis Bickle spring-loaded uh, revolver in your sleeve.
2: <laughs> yeah, you certainly can't like you couldn't have like a like a indo like an exoskeleton or something to help you lift. Right. <laughs> That's uh, I've been attending a lot of um, Scottish games lately because my dad has recently decided that he is of Scottish ancestry. Um, so over the past four years, I've been supporting my dad's newfound Scottishness and going to these Scottish games and the Scottish games to me, strike me as like a very ancient, ver- like you, you can see like there's discus in the Scottish games because they inherited it from the ancient Greeks from, uh, from the Olympics. But then there's also these games that just seem like the most, Um, elemental form of a game, like there's one where you just throw a rock. (laughs) It's just a big rock. And it looks to me like you stand behind a line and you throw the rock as far as you can throw it. And they mark where the farthest rock has gone. And people just stand there attempting to throw the rock over and over again until people are too tired to throw the rock. And then whoever made it the farthest is the winner.
1: (laughs) It's the same rock
2: every time. It's the same rock. Yeah, it's a big rock.
0: Oh, so it's like they throw the rock, and then they measure how far it went, and then they walk up to the rock where it is?
2: No, no, no. You you throw, You throw. stand behind a line, you throw the rock. If the rock made it the furthest, they plant a flag where the, where the rock landed.
1: Oh. So someone has to bring it back.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got your rock runner to bring the rock back to the competitors. <laughs> There's also a game where you uh, take a pitchfork, and you... Uh, Pitch a bale of hay over a pole vaulting pole that's behind you.
0: (laughs) The only Scottish game that I know of is the um, log throwing one.
2: Yeah, caper tossing.
0: Yeah, I like that one a lot.
2: Yeah, I found myself getting really into it the last time. People, yeah, that that happens. But like this other thing where you throw a bale of hay over and over again, (laughs) or just for some reason, the one with the rock really gets to me because it's like the most, the simplest thing I could think of.
1: Right. Well, short of like, let's just punch each other. other. Yeah. And then there was an innovation in sports where like, let's do something other than punch each other. (laughs)
2: Let's punch each other by proxy by
0: throwing (laughs) a ball at each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how hard I could punch you with my four foot rock throw.
0: Isn't that kind of like what lacrosse was? Lacrosse was like played uh, between Native American tribes as like a proxy for war. Yes. Instead of having to actually kill each other.
2: And the, well, but the losing team, um, I think either all gets killed or like the worst person from the losing team gets killed.
0: Oh, well, then they might as well have just killed each other. They vote somebody off the island.
2: Yes. They vote, they vote somebody off the island of Earth. Yes. Uh, if I were a contestant on Survivor... When I died, I would want my <laughs> my tombstone to read finally voted off the island. <laughs> like, <laughs> voted off the island for good.
0: Wait, did people die in Survivor and Survivor? Oh, I mean, metaphorically, when they have to leave the island. Did they get tombstones when they were voted off? I've never
2: watched the, I, I When I first heard about it, I thought it was going to be... Uh, actually I thought it was going to be what naked and afraid turned out to be where like you're just stranded somewhere and you have a cell phone and can call out if you, if you can't take it.
1: Wait, if you're naked, how are you holding the cell phone?
2: <laughs> oh.
1: Between your, between your cheeks. <laughs>
0: yeah. The thing about naked and afraid is that you can tell they're not cheating because they're naked.
1: Uh, Maybe it's in your tooth full circle. Like a suicide pill.
0: You just like bite down really hard and it auto dials.
1: Yeah. yeah, Or you bite really hard and some fluid comes out and you swallow the fluid and then the cell phone in your stomach drinks the fluid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say, okay, you bite really hard and then the fluid comes down and then five days later you poop out a cell phone. (laughs) That's way better. (laughs) It,
1: it, It goes into a mold in your stomach and the mold is of a cell phone.
2: And then when it comes out, you find that you don't have any reception.
1: Well, you have to bite the other tooth, which pours into the mold for the cell tower. <laughs> All right. So, I don't know how long we've actually been doing the podcast, but it's definitely been long enough. Yeah. Um. Thanks so much for being on. That
0: was fine. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you have me on again so I can talk about Pointless Automatons because... That's uh, something I'm we mildly passionate. Definitely about. Definitely
1: should. We'll reconnect next year, probably. Okay. Oh right, it's December.
2: I was <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> that was cold, Jim.
1: <laughs> uh, Tyreek, if this is something that you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet?
0: You find me uh, at Forbit Friday on Twitter, or uh, I guess Instagram. I don't I don't post that often. Yeah, Forbit Friday, all spelled out in words, no numbers. All right, I'll put it in the show notes
1: wrong, just so you can yell at me.
0: F-O-R-B-I-T. Not that four, the other four. is Day. The numerical four, but spelled with letters. For a bit, Friday.
1: Uh, Avery, if this is something you want, how can people find you on the internet?
2: Um, Avery Burke, Bandcamp. All right. And- uh, try to be Facebook friends with me. I check my Facebook every four months. So <laughs> yes. find me on Facebook <laughs> and I'll be your friend.
1: If I still used Facebook, I would do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, that's, that's sweet. Also, you could find my old coffee shop on Instagram. I don't think I've checked it since I closed the coffee shop, but the Instagram is still running. Yeah. Follow my old coffee shop on Instagram.
1: Is it called my old coffee shop? <laughs>
2: It's called the Temporarium.
1: Right, yes. Is there a place – can you still get those, like, mochi muffins anywhere? Because I've been jonesing for those.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, the people that make the mochi muffins are those. – they're super popular. Um, they have their own bakery now in Oakland. It is – they're now called Third Culture Bakery. Cool. Because the two guys who own it are – are children of immigrants? I don't really. Third culture has something to yeah, do. Third, with
1: Third culture kids are like children of Americans who grew up abroad. Oh, like Whoa. like huh. a army brat kind of a thing is how it's most commonly done.
2: Never heard that term before. Gotcha. Okay, so I guess that applies to them. Yeah, you should find them. They're and they're
1: interrogate them. I can gatekeep. I can or gatekeep they... to see if they're really third culture kids. <laughs> <laughs>
2: wait
0: are you they could they could be aliens like space aliens and their third culture is their second culture is earth and their third culture is the nation they landed in no i'm not uh but i dated one once
1: so
2: oh yeah so you present practically it makes you a representative of the culture (laughs) right (laughs) cool
1: hi this is jim this is the audio i append to every episode of topic lords Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can discuss the episodes at the Topic Lords subreddit at r topiclords. You can add content to the topic bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can find me on the Fediverse as Mugwai underscore poet at mastodon.social. Also I'm on Twitter. And you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topic lords. Patrons get episodes a week early and get access to the topic lords discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.